that. Hello, one and all, to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on The Basement Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Logan Blackman, and we are here on this June 10th edition of The Logan Blackman Show. And right now, on this June 10th, here in 2020, it is 59 degrees, it is rainy, it is cloudy, it's just... It's not a fun morning, pretty much. And my phone is telling me different things. It says showers going on right now, but chance of rain is 0%. That doesn't make a lot of sense now, does it? Wind's coming out of the northwest, 19 miles an hour. Air quality, good. And it feels like 55 degrees. Yeah, 59 degrees right now. High of 74, which we should get sometime around 5 today. But the rest of the week and into next week is sunny. It's pretty much, it's pretty beautiful. To say the least, Thursday, sunny, Friday, Saturday, sunny. Then Sunday, money, partly partly cloudy. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, next Friday, sunny. That's what we like to see here on the Logan Blackman Show. We're all about positivity here on the Logan Blackman Show. And we got some positive news today. Scrolling through Twitter, you see things all the time. You're like, oh, man, this is awesome. I really like that this is happening. And... This thing got me really excited. And I woke up a lot earlier than what I would have liked to, so I'm not feeling the best right now. I've got a headache. Uh, I'm very tired, so I might struggle a little bit today. But you know what? That doesn't matter because we are here together on the Logan Blackman Show here on the Basement Podcast. And Sprite, if you did not know, does not have caffeine in it. So that's And that's all we have for drinks at this house. So... I'm just I'm just struggling this morning to put it lightly to put it lightly to say it bluntly I am struggling today I'm riding the struggle bus I am the lone rider on the struggle bus today at least to my knowledge but this news got me pretty excited the MLS is back yes the MLS is back the tournament draw will be tomorrow they're doing a 26 team playoff draw and the season will be coming back on july 8th how exciting is that right now sporting kansas city rank at the top of the league well i think six points but it doesn't matter i don't what are the mls standings right now because they didn't play a lot of games i would say probably two or three games max this would load but you know what my internet never wants to work it always likes to run super slow and never do anything for me, even though it knows that I've got a show to do. But whatever. We'll we'll just keep talking like the internet is working. So the MLS is coming back July 8th. It'll be a unique World Cup style tournament featuring all 26 clubs competing at ESPN Worldwide uh, World Wide World of Sports Complex at the Walt Disney Resort in Florida. Regular season points and CONCACAF Champions League berth will be on the line. But before any of that, there will be a draw to determine the path to potential glory for each team. And the draw that they've talked about will take place tomorrow at 2.30 Central Time on MLSstalker.com as well as MLS's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube accounts. So tomorrow at 2.30 on MLSstalker.com or Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, you can watch the draw and figure out where your team will be playing. Here's the format for each for the league for this 2016 playoff bracket thing. 
The 26 MLS teams will be drawn into one group of six or two. Wait, one of six groups. Jeez, I again, I'm struggling today. I'm very sorry. The 14 teams, 14 team Eastern Conference will have three groups, one of six teams, and with four, two with four teams each. The 12-team Western Conference will be divided into three groups consisting of four teams. For the remainder of the 2020 season, Nashville will be moved to the Eastern Conference, which makes a lot of sense because it's on the eastern part of the United States. Each group will have a seeded team as the quote-unquote host team. Orlando City will be the top seed in the six-team group. The remaining five seeds will be East Atlanta, East Toronto, West LAFC, Seattle, and Real Salt Lake. And the reason they are the top seeds of those divisions, so Orlando FC obviously, Orlando City SC obviously being the host team, Atlanta United, winners of the 2019 MLS Cup, or no, the 2019 MLS Cup playoff semifinalists, Toronto FC, MLS Cup playoff semifinalists as well, LAFC, playoff semifinalists, Seattle Sounders, MLS playoff semifinalists, Real Salt Lake, next highest point totals in the Western Conference from the 2019 season. So in those groups, those are determined. The 20 unseated groups go goes into which group? A representative from each of the six clubs will participate in the drawing by picking a number at random from their conference. Each number will correspond to a ball containing the name of an unseated club that will join the seated club's group. So we got Group A, Orlando City, and that's the only group that we know for, for the time being. Group B will have four teams. Group C will have four teams. And all the rest of this groups, D, A, E, and F, will have four teams. So that's what we're looking like for the MLS. But July 8th, we will be returning. And I was just talking to my dad on Saturday. I haven't heard any news from the MLS regarding anything. They've just been completely silent. You've heard stuff from the NBA, the NHL. You've heard all of that, like when they're coming back. I had not heard anything of the MLS. And then now we are here on Wednesday, and here we have the news. We have stuff to talk about for the MLS. It's exciting times. It is very exciting times for the MLS, and I'm I'm excited, <laughs> to say the least. I love the MLS. I'm a diehard sporting Kansas City fan, and... At this, at whenever this broke off, they were hot. Sporting Kansas City currently sits on top of the Western Conference with six points, two wins. They've allowed one goal all season and have scored seven. Minnesota United sits second with six. Colorado Rapids third with six as well, but difference on goal differential. Sporting Kansas City has a plus six. Minnesota United has a plus five, and Colorado Rapids have a plus two. So that's what we're looking at right now for the Eastern Conference. We have Atlanta United sitting at top of six. They're the lone team in the Eastern Conference with six points. Getting two wins out of their first two games. They've scored four goals and allowed two. Of course, with the loss of Joseph Martinez, that is going to be a big blow for their late season or their playoff push, I guess. Montreal Impact six second with four, followed by New York Red Bulls, Toronto FC, and Columbus Crew all have four points. And we were doing this the regular playoff style. DC United would sit sixth, and Chicago Fire would sit seventh. And for the Western Conference, since we didn't go for the rest of the teams, five through seven would be LAFC, Seattle, and Vancouver. 
with the Houston Dynamo with one point sitting 12th. So they'll be the last place team in the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference. It's technically for this little round robin thing. Nashville will be last in the Eastern Conference off zero points. Them, New York City FC, Inter-Miami, and FC Cincinnati all have zero points on the season. All of them have a minus two goal differential. But New York City FC is the only team in the MLS through these first two games that has not scored a single goal on the season. Now, granted, it's only been two games. So we're not really going to sit here and go, this is what's going to determine the rest of the playoffs, the rest of the season. Two games have been played. A team that could be really hot right now could just completely fall off the face of the earth. Look at the Seattle Mariners. I know we made fun of them a lot on Monday, but we can still do that. Why? Because that's what they do all the time. <laughs> Start off really hot and just completely just walk off a cliff. And unlike cliffhanger, there's no branch to catch onto. They just fall straight to the depths of the MLB, which is crazy. For the rest of the show, I just wanted to get that little part out of the way. For the rest of the show... We've got some MLB stuff to talk about. We have a new proposal. Uh, the MLB draft is today. I don't know if any of you knew that. It kind of just pops its head up out of nowhere. And you never, it's just, you never know where it's coming from. It's like, oh, hey, I'm the MLB draft. Every single draft in the United States is more, more documented than the MLB draft. Even the NHL draft. And that's only broadcast on NHL TV or NHL Network. That the MLB draft is on ESPN and nobody ever knows when it is until it's the day of the draft and you get an update saying the Detroit Tigers have selected. You never know. I never know. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's they need to do better stuff with the MLB draft, but we got some scores to go over as well. We got some college football and some NFL stuff to talk about. We got a very loaded show and we will go over ev- pretty much every single sport in America. We got soccer. We got baseball, we got hockey, we got the NFL, and we got college football. So we're pretty much covering every single base in the world of sports right now. But So let's just get in to our talking points for today. This show's struggling, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of struggling a little bit. But we are here and we are live at some point here at 1039 in the morning here in Urbandale, Iowa. So let's go over some scores in the Bundesliga since we did not do that on either Friday or Monday. But on Friday, since again, we did not go over any scores through the Bundesliga this past weekend. Let's go over them now. Borussia Mönchengladbach lost to Freiburg 1-0 on Friday. Moving on to Saturday, RB Leipzig tied Paderborn 1-1. Paderborn sits bottom of the league, the very bottom of the league. And RB Leipzig could take advantage. Dio Upamecano got a red card in the game, so he sent off. Just not a fun game. For RB Leipzig, a very disappointing game for RB Leipzig. If they want to keep up with the likes of Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich, they can't be drawing to teams like Paderborn. Speaking of Bayern Munich, they beat Bayer Leverkusen 4-2 this weekend. Goals from Robert Lewandowski, Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Komen, and Goretzka. Just a, a typical Bayern Munich performance. Uh, Kai Havertz was not in the game. I believe he was hurt, so he could not play in the game. Alario got the one of the goals for Bayer Leverkusen with Wurtz getting the other one coming off the bench. Mainz beat Eintracht Frankfurt 2-0. Fortuna Dusseldorf tied Hoffenheim 2-2. And Borussia Dortmund beat Hertha Berlin 
1-0 with the goal coming from former Liverpool and Juventus player Emre Chan. With Erling Holland out, they got to find goals from somewhere. Uh, going on to Sunday, Werder Bremen lost to Wolfsburg 1-0. Union Berlin tied Schalke 1-1. And Augsburg tied FC Köln 1-1. Wolfsburg in the win over Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen is desperately needing wins, but couldn't find one here. Wanghorst got the lone goal for Wolfsburg. Josh Sargent got another start for Werder Bremen, the United States International. And keeping it on the top of the United States Internationals, um, Weston McKinney did not get the start for Schalke and for Tyler Adams and RB Leipzig. Tyler got the start and had a decent performance at best for Red Bull Leipzig. Totally not Red Bull Leipzig. Just RB Leipzig. Rajenbachspor Leipzig. Yeah, totally not Red Bull Leipzig. Even though our sponsor is Red Bull, our logo has the Red Bulls on it, and our arena is called Red Bull Arena. <laughs> but we don't, we're not sponsored by Red Bull. No, 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 no. We wouldn't do that. We are definitely not sponsored by Red Bull. That is against what we believe here in the Bundesliga. But we're going to have more scores this weekend. And the Bundesliga viewership ratings are going to drop like a freaking rock. Because you got La Liga coming back this week. You got the Premier League coming back next week. Serie A is coming back next week as well, I believe. So the ratings for the Bundesliga are going to drop off significantly. But... It's still a great league, one of the best leagues in the world, and they're still going to be in action whether or not other leagues are joining back. So for the next few days for the Bundesliga coming up on Friday, we have Hoffenheim taking on Rajen Barsport Leipzig. And then moving on to Saturday, Fortuna Dusseldorf will take on Borussia Dortmund. Hertha Berlin will take on Eintracht Frankfurt. Wolfsburg will take on Freiburg. FC Köln will take on Union Berlin. Paderborn will take Werder Bremen in a battle for the relegation teams. And Bayern Munich will take on Borussia Mönchengladbach. And moving on to Sunday, Mainz will take on Augsburg, and Schalke will be taking on Bayer Leverkusen. If we're looking at the standings right now in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, they're winning the league. They're seven points clear, Borussia Dortmund. They have not lost in a very, very long time. They even handled Borussia Dortmund the last time these two teams played three games ago. I don't think it's possible for Dortmund to catch them. It was a very admirable effort from Dortmund, but Bayern Munich's just on another level this year. Dortmund sits second with 63 points. RB Leipzig sits third with 59. Very good goal differential between the top three teams in the league. And then you start getting lower once you reach number four with Borussia Mönchengladbach with a plus 21. Still good, but not near the plus 43 that RB Leipzig has in third place. But Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen are currently tied on points with 56. Mönchengladbach sits above Leverkusen off goal differential, who Leverkusen's goal differential is a plus 16. We got Wolfsburg sitting sixth with 45 points on the season. So a sizable gap between fourth, fifth, and sixth as we get closer to the end of the Bundesliga season. Sitting at the bottom league, Paderborn, of course, 20 points on the season, taking on Werder Bremen. Bremen need this win. And if they get this win, it'll pretty much guarantee the drop for Paderborn, who currently sit... Five points behind Werder Bremen. If they get the win over Bremen, then they're only two points behind them, which is very big in this relegation race. And then eight points behind Fortuna Dusseldorf, who Fortuna Dusseldorf will be taking on Borussia Dortmund on Saturday. So if Paderborn get the win over Werder Bremen. Fortuna Dusseldorf lose to Borussia, Borussia Dortmund, as we we're expecting. 
they can they can conjure up one of the great escapes, conjure up one of the greatest escapes in Bundesliga history. But if they lose to Werder Bremen, then it's over. Their season's done. They are eight points behind Werder Bremen, who sit one spot above them. So it's pretty much over. It's, that's done and dusted for Paderborn this year, sadly for them. We're looking at the goal-scoring records right now in the Bundesliga. Robert Lewandowski sits on top of the league with 30. Timo Werner with 25 sits second. Both are responsible for 33% of their team's goals this season. And Jaden Sancho, former man, or not former, soon to be Manchester United player Jaden Sancho, 17 goals on the season, leading Borussia Dortmund in goals. But Borussia Dortmund are going to need Erling Holland to come back if they want to just apply pressure to Bayern Munich. Not saying they're going to beat them, but apply some pressure to them, make their seat a little hotter. It's fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's look at some La, ooh, geez, some La Liga action, which will be taking place this week as well on this. Where is the games at? Why is it doing this to me? Why no, that is tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow we have Sevilla versus Real Betis in the Seville Derby. Going on to Friday, Granada will take on Getafe and Valencia will take on Levante. Going on to Saturday, Espanyol will be taking on Deportivo Alves. Celta Vigo will take on Villarreal. Leganes will take on Real Valladolid. Mallorca will take on Barcelona. Atletic Bilbao will take on Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid will take on Ibar. And Real Sociedad will take on Osasuna. We're looking at the league standings right now in the, the in La Liga. Barcelona sit currently on top of the league with 58 points, with Real Madrid right on their tail with 56 Barca, you better watch out. With a lot of people right now, ranking Real Madrid the superior team, even though this is a very weak year for both of these teams. If you look at the talent they have in the roster, it's not really what you would expect from these types of teams. Sevilla currently sit third with 47 with Real Sociedad. And Getafe sitting right behind them with 46. And then Atletico Madrid sitting in sixth with 45 points, drawing their last two games. At the bottom of the league, Espanyol, Leganes, and Mallorca all sit at the bottom with Espanyol on 20 points with a minus 23 goal differential. It's by far the worst in the league. So you have the two Barcelona teams in Espanyol and Barcelona sitting on the opposite sides of the table. Barcelona sits at the top while Espanyol rots at the bottom of the league. Just sad to see. Sad to see. Mauricio Pochettino's former team, and he said he'll never coach Barcelona because of his loyalty to Espanyol to Catalonia teams and there might be only one of them actually who else? there's one more isn't there I can't remember but that's what we're looking like in La Liga right now currently on top scorers of the league Lionel Messi with 19 goals Kareem Benzema sits second and Lucas Perez on 11 tied with Luis Suarez and Marti and Moreno currently a three-way tie or four-way tie for third place in the goal-scoring ranks with Lucas Ocampos of Sevilla sitting with 10. Rodriguez sitting with 10 as well. And, yeah. So it's going to be an exciting end to La Liga. Who will win, Barcelona or Real Madrid? It's exciting. It's very exciting times. So let's look at the KBO while we are just talking on looking at scoreboards because it's just fun to look at the KBO. Even though I haven't really followed the KBO as close as I would like, like knowing players and stuff like that. But I've been following the scores like crazy. 
it's exciting to follow the KBO scores because even though you don't really know what's going on, it's still fun to talk about. Yesterday, we had action with Kia taking on KT. Kia winning 3-2. Doosan Bears playing the NC Dinos battle of the first and third best teams in the league. NC wins 12-8. Kiwoon beat Samsung 5-3. Lote beat Hanwha 9-3. And SK beat LG 5-3. Let's look at that NC Dinos Doosan Bears game. NC out hit Doosan 12-11 in this game. Got up to an early lead, the NC Dinos, 3-0 after the first inning. Doosan climbed back, scoring four runs on the fourth to take a 4-3 lead. And then the NC Dinos crapped out seven runs in the bottom of the fourth inning to get a 10-4 lead. Doosan started clawing back, pun intended, because they're Bears, but they couldn't get it done. 12-8 was the final there. Pitching-wise for the Doosan Bears, Jay Youngjoe pitched three innings, gave up uh, six runs, three hits, walked five batters, and struck out only four. And again, being the KBO, we are not surprised with the number of walks that they give up in this. Like it's a, It is a ridiculous number of walks <laughs> in the KBO. For the NC Dinos, uh, Ji Sung Young pitched three and two, two-thirds innings, gave up six hits, four runs, walked two batters, and struck out only one. Not the game Doosan was hoping. They thought after they took that 4-3 lead that they would just go on to win the game, but it was not enough. They got it to within 8-10, but then NC, the next inning, got two runs in their own right. So a 12-8 win for the NC Dinos. But Doosan did get revenge today. A 9-1 win over the NC Dinos. Lote beat Hanwa 12-2. Samsung beat Kiwoon 4-1. And Kia... Beat KT 10-0. The LG Twins versus SK game was postponed today. I'm guessing due to inclement weather. I really don't know, though. But let's look at that Doosan Bears versus NC Dinos game. It was not a very high-scoring game until the later innings. It was 2-0 going into the top of the seventh with Doosan smacked home five runs. They get a nice little 7-0 lead. NC got one run in the bottom of the seventh, and then it was just cruise control from there on out. For the Deuce on Bears, 11 hits in the game to NC Dinos, 7 for the Deuce on Bears. Raul Alcantara got pitched 7 innings, gave up 6 hits, struck out 4, and only gave up 1 earned run and didn't walk anybody. First game I've seen in a little bit where no pitcher walked anybody. For the Deuce on Bears, they had no walks between all 4 of their pitchers. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. For the NC Dinos, uh, Drew Rychkowski... Rujankowski pitched six innings, gave up three runs, or two runs, three hits, one walk, and three strikeouts. As a team, they gave up five walks in the game and struck out five as well. Just a, not a great game for the NC Dinos. Currently still sits on top of the league with a record of 24-7. and seven. Looking at the standings as a whole, the Deuce on Bears are in second place with a 20-11 record, passing the LG Twins on 18 and 12 and then we got key womb sitting at 18 and 14 kia at 17 and 15 Lote 16 and 15 samsung at 14 and 18 sk at 11 and 19 kt at 11 and 20 and hanwa at 7 and 25 17 and a half games behind the nc dinos in first place and while we just got done talking about that i'm going to take a quick break here on the logan blackman show we got some MLB to talk about. Since we just got done talking about the KBO, I thought it'd be nice to just stick to baseball. So we're going with the MLB next. I need to get like 
something in my system going because I'm going to fall asleep doing the show today. So let's take a break. We'll be back in a little bit. Stay tuned for more Logan Blackman show right after this. Alrighty, we are back here on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I took a little break. I needed to get some sort of energy in me, so I got some toast from upstairs, and it's rejuvenated me quite a bit. I feel a lot better now. I'm not as tired. Granted, it's been a little like I just needed to. I just needed to relax. I was like, "Dang, I'm I'm about to fall asleep doing this show. I'm stumbling over my words." And when I stumble over my words, that doesn't make for a fun show for the listeners and especially for myself. So we are back. I'm feeling a lot better. And hopefully we don't have any major, major slip-ups for the time being. Because that would be very, very unfortunate for the Logan Blackman show. Because I, I want this to be the best possible show it can be. And if I'm not feeling 100%, I don't do the show. Like, I, did, I canceled the show... With about 45 minutes left because I was like, this show isn't sounding good. This isn't getting better. Because I thought with time, if I kept on going, eventually I would get myself out of that funk I was in. But no, I was in the same funk and could not get out of it the entire time I showed. I did the show. It sucked. So I was just straight up. I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. This isn't fun for me. This isn't, I'm sure is not fun for the listener. And if I'm not doing good, as I said just about 15 seconds ago, I don't want the show to go on. Because that's not fun for anybody. So we just went over some scores from the KBO. Went over the standings as well. Doosan, now second place in the league behind the NC Dinos. With the LG Twins dropping the third. Their game postponed this morning, so they didn't get a chance to play. But they will be in action again tomorrow and Friday as well. So we'll talk about those games a little bit more come Friday. If we have a show, because if, as I said, on Monday, one of my childhood friends is getting married on Friday. So I don't know if we're going to be able to do a show or not. If not Friday, then I'll probably do it Thursday night. Maybe if I can get it in on Friday, then it's going to be, I'm going to have to wake up at like eight o'clock and get that thing crapped out because I got to be at the, rece- uh, the reception hall at two. So this will make it a little bit more difficult, but if I can get it in fast, then I can. It'll be easy. Cause it was like on when or on Monday, I woke up late, but I talked for an hour and forty three minutes straight. So it went a lot faster than what it normally does doing a show. So hopefully we can have a day like that on Friday because that will be a tier list on Friday. There will be a return of the top five dumbest things in organization is done. We haven't decided what team we're doing yet. But we'll go over that. So we already got things set up for Friday. But let's just hope we can get a show in. And congratulations to Isaac and Liv who will be getting married on Friday. And I would just like to give a little friendly advice. For those of you who are as single as I am. It's not over. Because <laughs> it's so weird at this point in time in our lives. Because every there is a lot of people that are my age that are getting married that I went to high school with that are getting married. Even people that are younger than me are getting married. So it makes you a little stop and think a little bit like what's wrong with me. That's it's one of those things that you get at this point in time. And and I'm not ready to get married whatsoever. So I'm not mad about them or not, not mad, but not upset that I'm not getting married at 22 years old. It's more of the fact that I don't have a girlfriend 
since I was like in middle school. So let's just give some friendly advice. Howdy does not work for anything. No matter what Google says, it don't work. Because you're trying to like, oh, you got to stand out. It don't work. I'll just put it like that. I'm not going to go too much more in depth than that. But it don't work. Google said to do that because if you don't know what to say, just try to make a, a great appearance, a grand entrance, I guess. And that's not something you're really expecting. And it, it's really stupid. It makes me cringe every time I think about it. But whatever. Congratulations to everybody that's getting married this year because there's been a lot of people from high school or people I've grown up with that are getting married. And it's crazy to think about. While we're still sitting here, single AF, let's get right back into the show. So we got some MLB stuff to talk about. The MLB draft is today. I don't know if a lot of you knew that was today. <laughs> I think there's a vast majority of people that didn't know there was an MLB draft, let alone it coming on today. Because <laughs> I forget about the MLB draft every single year without end. I've never remember. I can it. It's not hugely broad. It's not widely broadcast on any social network or anything. It's not the NFL network or the, the NFL draft where we are constantly getting draft stuff forced down our throats by ESPN, NFL Network, and myself. It's just everywhere. The NFL, the NFL draft has gotten so much bigger than anything. It is a full-blown spectacle. It is, it's huge. The NFL draft is massive. The NBA draft is a very big draft as well. Nowhere near as massive as the NFL draft, but it is a very big draft. The NHL draft, even though it is a lot, in regards to American sports, it is smaller than the MLB, but people know when the NHL draft is. Nobody knows when the MLB draft is, ever. I was on ESPN today, and it said, oh, let's look at the what how to watch the draft tonight. But the draft's tonight? What? I remember I was laying in bed one year, and I've said this story a lot on the show, when the Cubs drafted Kyle Schwarber. I was laying in bed, and I got the notification. I was like, I didn't even know the draft was today. I've got notifications doing the show about players getting drafted. I worked. I was working at the iCubs when the MLB draft was going on. Like, you never know when the MLB draft is. I don't even know if like, the most diehard MLB fans know the draft. It's like, okay, the owners meet up and go, okay, guys, when we want to do this? Let's do it today. Okay, today. We'll do the draft today. They never have a you know, set goal in mind, it seems like. But, nonetheless, it is tonight. It starts at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Tonight, in the next four rounds, we'll start tomorrow at 5 on ESPN 2. So, don't get confused with tonight and uh, tomorrow night for the MLB draft. Almost said NFL draft. 6 on ESPN tonight, 5 on ESPN 2 tomorrow it's easily the least known draft in the world <laughs> i it's the second biggest sport arguably in america it is america's pastime and nobody knows when the draft is and the thing that's different with this draft as opposed to like the nfl nba and even the nhl draft the prospects that get drafted do not go to the majors right away they start in rookie ball which is like very far ways away from the major league. Some players don't even make it to the major leagues. They get drafted. It's very, it's not that rare where a player gets drafted and they just can't make it up to the majors. 
The year Chris Bryant was drafted, number three by the Chicago Cubs, the Houston Astros had a pitcher, or no, the Chris Bryant got drafted second. Astros drafted first, I think, or I, I've got it mixed up. They drafted a pitcher very high. <laughs> Let's just right above Chris Bryant. I think it was the first overall pick. Yeah, it was Cubs pick number two. Pick Chris Bryant. The pitcher they drafted is retired and did not pitch an inning, let alone throw a ball in the MLB. So these players can get just swallowed up by the minor leagues. You will never see a rookie, or you you might every once in a while, but it is very rare to see a rookie go straight to the MLB. It is very rare. Rouchman, the start, the catcher for the Baltimore Orioles, got drafted last year. Where is he at right now? He's not mentioned getting draft moved up to the majors this year. I think he's probably in double A, if we're being honest. Maybe he moved up to triple A. But there's no one knows these players, first of all, because not a lot of people watch college baseball. And they're just going to get swallowed up by the minor leagues. So you won't hear about these players for a good three to four years. And you're like, oh man, this is the guy they drafted back in 2017, getting called up to the majors in 2022. It's crazy to think about that. There's so many rounds in the MLB draft. David Bodie, Chicago Cubs utility player, was drafted in the 18th round. There are so many rounds in the MLB draft. It is insane. Like, if you look at the NFL, Kyler Murray got drafted first overall. He started right away for the Arizona Cardinals. The NBA, Zion Williamson, after he came back from getting injured, he started right away for the New Orleans Pelicans. You look at Rasmus Dahlin for the Buffalo Sabres. Got drafted, started right away with the Sabres. You look at Andy Rauschman, who got drafted by the Baltimore Orioles last year, is at most at double A right now. We won't see him probably for another one to two seasons. So that's why I think is the big reason why a lot of people don't know where the NBA, jeez, I combined a bunch of leagues. The MLB draft is. There's a lot of exciting players. In the MLB draft. This, we don't know about them because they never broadcast enough. And apparently this year, Spencer Torkelson, what a name that is, first baseman from Arizona State. Uh, according to MLB.com, most clubs consider Torkelson on a tier by himself in this draft. And it could would be a major upset if the Tigers took anyone else. The backup plans to be appears to be Texas A&M left-hander Asia Lacey for the Tigers. And both there did... Two people did a mock draft here on MLB.com and both had Torkelson and then Austin Martin from Vanderbilt as an outfielder slash third baseman going second to the Orioles. Aza Lacey, number three to the Marlins going from Texas A&M, the pitcher we talked about earlier. The Royals taking Zach Veen, an outfielder from Spruce Creek High School in Florida. Then we have the Blue Jays taking Max Meyer, right in a pitcher from Minnesota. It's like, they're, until we get to the sixth pick, we are in agreement for everything so far. Pirates taking Nick Gonzalez, according to Kalis. And, uh, yeah, they just make an infield full of Gonzalez's. Because I think Eric Gonzalez is the shortstop or second baseman for the Pirates now. This guy plays second baseman or shortstop as well. <laughs> so, just have a, a team full of Gonzalez's for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They need minor. They need young players. Because they're going to be struggling for a little bit. And then for the Tigers at the number one spot, Spencer Torkelson would be the perfect replacement, as it seems, for Miguel Cabrera, who is in the latter part of his career, 
but will probably be there by the time Torkelson's called up because of how bad his contract is. And by that time, he might have retired. So Spencer can slot right in at first base for the Detroit Tigers because they don't have a first baseman right now. Tigers are struggling. Tigers are a terrible team. The only team to score below the 600 and runs scored, I believe, is what we said on Monday. They're terrible. Absolutely terrible. So that's what we got for the MLB draft. Here some teams that a lot of people from the state of Iowa or people I've talked to uh, will cheer for. The Pirates, John Leo, uh, they pick 7th tonight. San Diego Padres pick 8th. They're one of my favorite teams that aren't my favorite teams. The Colorado Rockies pick 9th. Chicago White Sox pick 11th. Cincinnati Reds pick 12th. San Francisco Giants pick 13th. Philadelphia Phillies 15th. Cubs 16th. Red Sox 17th. Um, Who else do we have that's fans of the fans of Iowa Brewers pick 20th Cardinals 21st Nationals 22nd Indians 23rd um Braves 25th Twins 27th Yankees 28th and that's it yeah for the people that I know that care about these teams I'm just going to say those names for you but it'll be exciting once all these players get called up because when they first get called up I remember Javier Baez when he first got called up Chris Bryant when he baseball Jesus is what Chris Bryant was touted as when he got called up MVP world series champ rookie of the year. He's done great in his time in the majors to say the least. Kyle Schwarber was drafted as a catcher. He plays left field. Thank you to Wilson Contreras who moved from third base to catcher because he was going to lose his spot and get cut if he didn't move to catcher essentially. And now he's one of the best catchers in the major leagues, which is absolutely crazy to think about. I don't know what Kyle Schwarber would have been as a catcher. I know he played catcher in India at Indiana played catcher in the minor leagues, but he also had the versatility to play in the outfield, which I'm glad he lost a lot of weight because it makes him a better fielder. And he's not a great fielder, but he's vastly improved on what he was when he first got called up the Chicago Cubs to play left field, especially after he got hurt by Dexter Fowler and when he basically destroyed his knee when the Cubs won the world series. But we probably won't hear about these players for two years, two or three years, probably. It's not, it's the exact opposite of every other sports draft in America, where you will see the top draft picks go straight into their rosters. Connor McDavid, um, Austin Matthews, um, Jack Eichel, all slotted in with the NHL, and even some of those players will go down to the minor leagues. The NFL goes straight to the starting job, essentially. If you're a high, top draft pick, you're probably going to start day one, like Kyler Murray did, like Joe Burrow was expecting to do, Cam Newton. Like, all of these guys that get drafted high are expected to go in and start right away. NBA more so than not. If you're a top draft pick, you're going to go into the starting lineup. Like, in the NFL and NHL, you there is a chance you would be a backup your first year. Like, if you get drafted in the NHL, there's a chance you might go down to the minor leagues you might go over to europe again if you're like from the khl or something the nfl like jordan love or justin herbert you got a quarterback there you're gonna sit behind them for a little bit the nba if you're drafted in the top 10 you are starting we had envisions of you of starting especially top five you're a guaranteed starter if you're drafted in the top five for the nba mlb zero chance zero percent chance you start day one on your team now, with how bad the Tigers are and the Orioles are, there might be some slimmer, slimmer. There might be a slimmer of hope for Torkelson and Martin to start for the Orioles and Tigers because of how terrible those teams are. But it is very unlikely that that will ever happen. Especially pitchers. Pitchers, ugh, no way. 
So yeah, MLB Draft tonight at 6 on ESPN. Tomorrow starts at 5 on ESPN2, airing the next four rounds of the MLB Draft. Again, there's like a 1,000 rounds on the draft. So if you want to follow it, go follow something else because I, I can't help you with the later rounds of the MLB. First round, uh... Even that I struggle with. I didn't know. I haven't been following any MLB drags. I didn't even know it was coming up. So I didn't. I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> but make sure you tune into that tonight. If you are in dire need of watching some sort of live sports. Look at the NFL draft viewership. Because how insane that was. Because we didn't have any live sports. Slowly we're coming back to normal. But we still. The MLB draft is still going to be. A must-watch must watch event tonight. While we're on the top of the MLB, they have a new proposal. Seems like they have a new proposal every single day. And this one, the MLBPA proposes an 89-season, 89-game season, and expanded playoffs. Major League Baseball Players Association has made a proposal to the MLB for a season of 89 games with a full prorated share of salary and expanded playoffs Sources familiar with the situation told ESPN on Tuesday. It would bring the sides closer to a potential deal because it's 20 games, 25 games fewer than the union's most recent proposal of 114 games at full pro rata, sources told ESPN. But an MLB source familiar with the negotiations told ESPN's Carl Ravitch that the proposal is a non-starter. Out of concern for the players' health, extending the regular season past September 27th won't happen. There's a window of playing between 60 and 70 regular season games, but pay still remains an issue. MLB on Monday proposed a 76-game season that would propose a cover-up of 75% of the players' prorated salary. The newest MLB PA proposal would have the season start July 10th and end on October 11th. A source told ESPN's Jane Rogers, Jesse Rogers, my bad, sorry Jesse. It also would expand postseason to 16 teams, 8 in each league. For 2020 and 2021, like MLB's proposal on Monday, this offer has the players sharing in a pool of at least $50 million if the playoffs are displayed without fans. The proposal includes opt-out rights for all players. Players who are considered high-risk or or reside with high-risk individuals are entitled to full service and salary in the event that they opt out. Those with no high, with no high-risk concerns may opt out without service or salary. High-risk qualifications is to be determined by the MLBPA in, in consultation with medical reports. Players also are committing to providing broadcast enhancements for both regular season and postseason games. MLB's Monday proposal to players on a return-to-play ec economic package offered a higher potential salary oh, than the previous plan, but less guaranteed money over 76-game seats. Players and officials of, at the MLBPA quickly scoffed at the proposal, which was obtained by ESPN, continuing the gridlock that has prevented the MLB from returning after the coronavirus-related delay to the beginning of the season. If the sides are unable to agree a deal, the league has the ability to implement a schedule of its desired length. It has focused more recently on a potential 48-game season, sources told ESPN. This is according to Jeff Pazon from ESPN. Go follow him on Twitter if you want to get all your MLB needs because he's a he'll tweet out everything for the MLB. You want to know about more about the situation that's going on? I would definitely recommend following him on Twitter. So let's re, let's dissect this thing. So the new proposal: eighty nine games 
as opposed to the 114 games that the union or the the MLB first brought up 25 games fewer than the union's most recent proposal of 114 games. So will this happen? I don't know. The MLB proposed a 76 game season that would cover 75% of the prorated salaries. So what this is basically saying, the players are wanting a full season's worth of salary without actually playing a full season. That makes sense. I didn't really think about this when we were talking about this on Monday. Does that really make a lot of sense? 75%, I think, is fine since we're only playing less than 75%, actually about 75% of the season, about 50% of the season. Because right now, if the MLB does go with, which it doesn't look like it is, the 89-game season, that is just over half of the regular season. The MLB's 162-game schedule, you're playing 89 games, it's just over half. So, why are they expecting to get paid fully? I don't know. Maybe it's because they haven't had the opportunity to play the full season. So, you can see the sides of both, both sides of the coin here. On one side, you're not playing a full season. Why are we going to pay you for a full season if you're not even playing a full season? That's the MLB's perspective. On the player's perspective, we haven't had the opportunity to play a full season. It got taken away, essentially. Not really out of our... It's kind of out of our control that we didn't get to play a full season. But I don't know if this is going to happen. MLB? Will there be a season? I don't know. (laughs) It's not looking incredibly likely that there will be. Because if you look back in March, we were playing, I think... I think they got through about 10 preseason games or 10 spring training games. They're not even on the first wave of roster cuts yet on like moving players to certain leagues. So I don't know what they're going to do. Now, if you're a team like the Cubs, you got a pretty good estimate on what your roster is looking like because you don't have a good enough player. I mean, second base, that's going to be a problem for the Cubs. Every other position I think is a lock for the Cubs. Wills Contreras catcher, Rizzo at first, Javi shortstop, Chris Bryant third, Schwarber left, uh, Almoran happen center Hayward and right. That's pretty simple. I think Kipnis is staying up and then I would guess Horner stays up and then David Bodie stays up for the second base spot. Cause Bodie can play second short and third and also in the outfield if need be. Then you got Victor Caratini backup catcher to Contreras. He'll be there backup to Anthony Rizzo as well. Horner can play backup to Baez as well as playing with Kipnis. Then outfielders, uh, Steven Souza is probably going to be up there. You would imagine he's going to be up there. So that's, I think the Cubs' only real problem is at second base. But if you're a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Astros, you have a pretty good foundation of what your roster is going to look like, especially since you made it pretty far in the postseason last year and didn't really lose anybody of serious note of the season before. If you're in the Yankees' case, they're actually gaining people that they didn't have from the season before. Dodgers, they gain Mookie Betts, David Price, but their roster is pretty much locked in. Whatever you, you're just going to choose the best players. I mean, for these bad teams, then yeah, this is going to be a problem. For the good teams, they're like, okay, let's get this started whenever. We don't need spring training. We got our roster pretty much now. There's no minor leagues this year, so yeah, we don't even need to worry about sending people down. 
which I don't know how that's going to work. What player are you just going to have to be, you're going to be sitting in your house and you get a phone call from Joe Madden and the Angels like, hey, I need you in the majors. We got an injury to Shohei Otani. We need you to play DH today. Or first base since Albert's playing DH since he can barely move. Or what is, what's the plan for that? I don't really know what the whole plan is for calling players up if someone gets hurt. Do they just have – how many players do they have in the bullpen or in the dugout? So they have 26 players on the roster now. I think they expanded the roster spots. So they probably have 30 players, 35 players in the dugout or something. I don't know. 40 players. Have your entire 40-man roster just at your disposal in the dugout at all times. Feel bad for those younger players, though, because then they're just never going to play. But will the MLB season actually happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answers for you. Based off this, they look like they are in a locked-in debate, and neither one of them, the MLBPA and the MLB, they are not budging on what they want. And they're not going to agree on anything either, which is sad because I love baseball. And I said this on Monday, I need to, have, I need to get upset at the Chicago Cubs this season. You can't be upset at them if they're not playing. Well, actually, I can, but they need to play. I need to get upset about the Cubs this year. That's one of my things I love about baseball. I can yell at the Cubs for disappointing me yet again with all the talent they have on the roster and winning only 84 games. It's fun. I love it. Good. It's good, as Bruce Almighty would say. Baseball. Get it figured out. As simple as that, I don't have any other answers for you. I don't have any questions. I just I just have to say, figure it out. If not, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> so if that's not threatening, I don't know what it is. Man. It'll be fun, though, once this gets figured out, if it gets figured out. At least we're getting more sports coming back. At least, like, soccer's coming back. We know the NHL and NBA are coming back. So we got that stuff to wait for, but the MLB do without fans. There's teams that play without fans. Anyways, we've already talked about the bad teams like the Tigers and the Orioles. They don't play with fans. Anyways, it's not going to be a huge deal if you play with or without fans. Just get this sorted out. Cause I need baseball. Please, please get it sorted out. MLB PA and MLB. I need it. I need it. While we're on the topic of baseball, I have one more thing that I want to press on for the <laughs> for the MLB. Go and watch Sammy Sosa versus Mark McGuire in the long gone summer 30 for 30 on Sunday. Sammy Sosa, one of my favorite players of all time, was my favorite player on the Cubs. As, much, as a lot of people that are my age and even older, at that time, he was everybody's favorite player on the Cubs. He would smash home runs. Smash, smash, smash. Remember that vine? I think it was a vine or gif. I don't know. But he would launch baseballs. Sammy Sosa was awesome. We're 21. In my first baseball jersey, my mom got it for me at Von Mauer. Or Von Mar, Whatever you want to call it. I love that jersey. It was the hottest thing ever, though. It's like that would suck all the moisture out of your body like that. It was terrible, but I loved it. At the same, I don't know where it is, but I loved it. Sammy Sosa came out yesterday and said he hopes he can get everything sorted out with the Cubs because time heals all wounds. And as you've seen today, see likes of OJ Mayo and Reggie Bush get reinstated to USC after Reggie Bush was out for 10 years. I think OJ Mayo was out for 13 years, maybe. 
So, time does heal all wounds. Or not all wounds, but it heals wounds. There's going to be some scarring there. So, it's not, like, gone forever. But, it will heal. And Sammy Sosa also wants and hopes the number 21 will be in the rafters. Or not the rafters, but on the foul poles of Wrigley Field. Up the flag poles. Be up there like so Greg Maddox, Ryan Sandberg, Ron Santo. I want to be up there with those guys. Eventually, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and maybe Javier Baez as well. They'll all be up there. Will that happen, though? I don't know. I think he deserves it. Just like O.J. Mayo. Or not O.J. Mayo. O.J. Simpson. The Bills, after all this time, are finally retiring O.J. Simpson's number. Yes, he had a lot of bad things off the field, but he's one of the greatest running backs that no one talks about because of the fact that he was on trial for murder. But the Bills are finally retiring his number because he deserved it. Sammy Sosa records are questionable in their legitimacy. Legitimacy? I don't know why I said it like that. But I think that he... I would love to see it, to be honest. He was the one player that in those early 2000s that gave Cubs fans even a glimmer of hope. He had Mark Mark Pryor. He had Kerry Wood. Moises Alou. Sammy Sosa. Gave you hope. And then they kind of faltered off a little bit once everybody left. And then that kind of led to a very, very long 10 years of being a Cubs fan. Very long 10 years. Thank God that the Houston Astros were as bad as they were. Because if they weren't there, I don't know what I would have done as a young Cubs fan. But time heals all wounds. There will be scarring. Because it's a deep wound that Sammy and the Cubs have had. But there, So there will be evidence that it's still there. But will they retire it? I don't know. Do I think he deserves it? Partially, because I don't know how many of his records are legitimate. Because <laughs> he won't admit he did steroids. And that's all the Cubs have said. All he has to do is come out and admit he'd use steroids, and then we could be done. He's like, I don't use steroids. Which I think we... Come on. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't. And we just don't know. But I would recommend watching The Long Gone Summer and looking at Sammy Sosa, because he looks a lot different now than he ever did as a player <laughs> if you if you don't want to do that then just go look up sammy sosa pink and he's got a pink suit on he looks like a bottle of pepto bismol pretty much and he says it's a skincare lotion yeah no it's not sammy admit you're doing a michael jackson that makes everything easier don't sage your skin routine liar it's not happening but I would recommend watching it because it was a great, great time to be a Cubs fan. Even though they didn't win. The Cardinals were annoying AF. But it'll be fun. I think Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs. Sammy Sosa hit City 6. Like, batted 303 as well Sosa did. So yeah, I would really recommend watching that. I'm watching it with my friends Noah and maybe Spencer. Because Spencer had maybe had something going on on Sunday. But Noah and I are watching it. It's going to be awesome. So with that being said, let's take a quick break here on the Logan Blackman Show. We will be back. We got some football to talk about. College football. For this college football section, we got to go over the stuff that's been going on at the University of Iowa. And I want to do this thing where it's the best quarterback in each conference. Going off of that, I made a tier list for Iowa quarterbacks. So if you would like to look at that, 
and do that, go ahead as well. And we got some NFL stuff to talk about with players overvaluing themselves. Some interesting quotes coming out of the past few days around the NFL. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to the Logan Blackman Show here on this Wednesday, June 10th edition of the show. It is a uh, it's sunnier outside than it was earlier, and it's it's not rainy. It's just pretty windy. That's about all I could say right now for right now in Urbandale, Iowa. And I hope all of you are having a fantastic day wherever you are, wherever you may be. And ten years ago, yesterday, I had one of the greatest days of my entire life 10 years ago yesterday was the 10 year anniversary of or I guess 10 years ago yesterday was the day the Chicago Blackhawks won their fourth Stanley Cup first one since the 1960-1961 season beating the Philadelphia Flyers in that series Patrick Kane scores a goal in overtime nobody really knows what happened or how the puck got to the back of the net other than Patrick Kane himself, the greatest American hockey player of all time. The greatest. I don't think there's any really debate for it. I think that he is a ways above the United States and as far as the greatest American hockey player of all time. Now, Canadian, same thing. You got Wayne Gretzky, a level above everybody else. You look at the great players in the NHL right now, like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Canadians. There ain't nobody that stands the test of time like Patrick Kane in regards to the Americans, the United States of America hockey players. That was one of the greatest days ever. I'll never forget. I was at my Nana and Papa's house. We were watching the game, and they have a little sunroom area in their house. My dad goes there because the third period just ended, and my dad wanted to go talk to our family for a little bit. I was like, okay, Dad, you're going to miss overtime. I said, Logan, come, come get me when overtime starts. So I do that. I go into the sunroom and say, Dad, hey, uh, overtime's starting. Better get out of here. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll be there in a little bit. Dad, Dad, Patrick Kane scored. The Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. He missed it. Freaking loser. But it was a great, great day. Great day. If I was up in Cedar Falls right now, I'd be wearing my Patrick Kane jersey. But sadly, I'm back here in Urbandale, so I don't have any of my cool jerseys with me for the time being. But that was a great day. Great, great day. The Blackhawks were going to win two more post that. Have six Stanley Cups to their name. And we're going for number seven this year. Because you know why? The Blackhawks are back in the playoffs as the last seed. But you know what? In the playoffs, nonetheless. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Taking on the Edmonton Oilers. Five versus 12, I believe, is the matchup. I might be wrong about that. But, hey. Edmonton, prepare yourselves. We have old players, but they're experienced in the playoffs. Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, Crawford. All these guys. Been there, done that. We got been there and done it again <laughs> this postseason. And I am very, very excited for whenever the NHL playoffs start. I can't remember exactly, or the I can't really remember when exactly it kicks back off again. But it will be a fun time, and not as fun as it was that time 10 years ago, but still fun nonetheless. It's just hard to believe that was 10 years ago. Patrick Kane tweeted something about it. I was like, man, this is, it's impossible to think that this was 10 years ago. I was 12 years old 
That's crazy to think about. I was 12 when that happened. Jeez. Absolutely crazy. Craziness is what I say. So there's our little hockey talk. I had to bring that up because I saw it all over social media. He was like, oh, man, what a great day that was. Great night that was. So with that being said, let's go over into some not-so-great moment in sports this past week. So if you've been following on social media, you've been seeing a lot of former Iowa Hawkeye football players, a lot of uh, black Iowa Hawkeye, former Iowa Hawkeye players, talking about their experiences while being at the University of Iowa, most notably in the strength and conditioning program. And if you listen to what they say about Kirk Ferentz, everybody loves Kirk Ferentz. I don't think anybody has anything negative to say about Kirk Ferentz. About strength and conditioning coach Brian Doyle? Uh, The same can't really be said. Coach Doyle's been placed on administrative leave. And, yeah, it's just not a great look for the University of Iowa. And that's brought on... uh, vandalism to Kinnick Stadium in the Children's Hospital, which is why. And I loved that some players that were on those teams that made some of the comments were like, okay, we'll come back to Iowa and help clean Kinnick Stadium. They didn't have to do that. They never had to do that. But they did it out of the kindness of their hearts. They know this wasn't necessarily Kinnick Stadium and the Children's Hospital especially didn't need to get touched, really. It's just a, not a great moment in the University of Iowa's football history. And if you go on Twitter, you'll see players uh, like Jaleel Johnson uh, saying that Doyle told him that he couldn't afford golf clubs. Um, you got players going, uh, strength and conditioning coach Doyle asked me, did I gangbang in the offseason because I ain't run track or wrestle? That uh, That's not great. That is... Not a great thing to say to anybody. Amani Hooker now in the NFL. I remember whenever walking into the facility, it would be difficult for black players to walk around the facility and be themselves as if they grew up, if the way you grew up was the wrong way or wasn't acceptable and that you would be judged by that and it could impact your playing time. It would, in fact, impact your playing time. James Daniels is really the first person that spawned this on and then you see a conveyor belt of other people sticking up or standing out and spreading uh the news about what had been going on while playing at the university of iowa and there's a lot of people that have been that don't really know the situation they have been coming out and saying things about the university of iowa football program and it's going well how doesn't kirk ferentz know about this why is kirk ferentz not facing any punishment for this if you listen to the players they didn't even say anything about fire Doyle or get Doyle out. They're really just speaking up for what they felt, why they were wronged. They didn't even say fire Doyle. I think it was a correct move by the University of Iowa putting him on an administrative leave. I think the comments that he made to some of the players are unacceptable, if to put it lightly. But for those of you who don't know, Kirk Ferentz, yes, he is the head coach of the University of Iowa. He is the Iowa Hawkeyes head coach. But some people that don't know this, this doesn't even just have to happen in the University of Iowa. It's happened, it happens in almost every college campus. 
the strength and conditioning coaches spend more time with the players than the coaches do. Like, the coaches don't stand in the weight room and watch you weightlift. The coaches got other things to do. The strength and conditioning coaches have un, um, unmanaged time. I get that's not really a great way of saying it, but they can be with you however long they want. Coaches have a, li- a limited set of time they can be with the players. Coach Doyle's with those guys every single day. And if stuff doesn't get passed on to Kirk, then Kirk won't know about it because Kirk's not there. No head coach is constantly in the weight room. When I was at William Penn, Coach Haugen ran everything. There was no – Coach Hafner wasn't there. Coach Norberg would be in there sometimes, the defensive coordinator. But about 90% of the time, 99% of the time, it was just the strength and conditioning coach and their staff, the strength staff at William Penn and at the University of Iowa. At every college facility, you will find that it's just the strength coach and their staff. The head coach is not there. O coordinator is rarely there. The D coordinator is rarely there. So the fact that Kirk Ferentz doesn't know about this, I am not surprised at all. Being a head coach and being a strength coach are a lot more similar than what people think because you can structure everything. The coach won't tell the strength and conditioning coach what to do. The coach does not have control over the strength and conditioning coach. They can do whatever style workout they want to do. Now, the coach can obviously say, like, ramp up the workouts or something, but they can't structure the workout and tell them what to do. It's like the special teams coach as well. I think it was Andrew Hawkins, that from former Browns player that came out and tweeted this. He's, when Joe Judge got hired by the New York Giants, he was like, I think special teams coach is the one coach that you should hire for a head coach because they're in charge of their own team, the special teams. No one's telling him what to do. It's his team. It's the strength coach. Same thing. It's their team. Head coach, their team. Yes, they are the head coach, but they can only tr- control so much, especially the university the size of Iowa. They don't know everything that goes on there. I think the way that Iowa has handled this has been very, very good. Putting Doyle on administrative leave because he needed to be put on administrative leave. You can't honestly <clears throat> keep someone that's been – the comments that players have come out and said, whether they're real or not, they – because some people are going to twist it. Oh, this act- did this actually happen? Or are you just trying to go into this whole thing? They happen. And I'm going to take the player's side on this. If Doyle said those things, which I'll never know if he did or not, he needs to be let go or at least, like what they did, put on an administrative leave. He's going to eventually get fired. And his son has entered the transfer portal. He was a linebacker at Iowa. So him transferring says really all I need to know about this situation that Doyle is not coming back to the University of Iowa. And it would be a hard situation for that kid to be in anyways. But I'm happy that the players did stand out and did come out and say stuff, especially James Daniels, who was the first one to really push stuff out there. It's very cool. It's very cool to see people come out like that as players that are standing up for that kind of thing. Like, oh man, this happened. Then you see a whole onslaught of other people saying the exact same things. And hopefully the University of Iowa can grow from the situation because it's not a great look for the time being during this time of racial injustice around our country at this point in time. 
So, yeah, just hope the University of Iowa grows for this and also has something to say about the coaches that were with Doyle, why they didn't say anything when Doyle would be saying those things. Like, pull him aside and go, hey, why are, don't say that. Why are you saying that? So they can be put in the same situation here. Obviously, they didn't say it, or maybe they didn't even know because they're not with Doyle all the time. But, yeah, it's just a, a rough time in the University of Iowa time i think they've handled it well i like that they put doyle on administrative leave it's a very sad time in in iowa city and just college football in general because iowa being one of the more like in the tiers of college football they're not extremely like national championships wise not like alabama or clemson or ohio state or notre dame or something like that but iowa has a great history nonetheless and I hope the University of Iowa football team can grow from this. And I'm excited to see what they can do in the future because they seem really unified. It's not like this is driving their teammates apart or anything. They seem incredibly unified with this whole standpoint or whole situation. So, yeah, that's all I can really say on the matter. That's not really a lot that's developed since then because this happened a few days ago. This isn't something that happened today. I was going to talk about it on Monday, but we just ran out of time, so I said I'll push it to Wednesday. So here we are talking about it. But, yeah. That's all you can really hope for is progress. Really. Progress and hope that we can move forward from this situation, because it's not a great situation to be in right now. So let's just hope and grow from this situation as a whole, as a team, as individuals, as everything. And we will, the University of Iowa will be back on its feet. Because obviously, again, I don't know how many times I need to say this, but it's not a great look for the University of Iowa. But being on the topic of Iowa and Iowa Hawkeyes football, I made a tier list the other day of Hawkeye quarterbacks throughout its history. Like the most well-known quarterbacks in the University of Iowa's great history. As we've said, Iowa has a, a pretty historic team a pretty historic history i guess and i thought it'd be fun to go through and make a tier list of iowa hawkeye quarterbacks and i got a beautiful picture of ricky stansby with the flowing hair right there and so let's go through this tier list i thought it'd be pretty fun to do this tier list on the show i know it's not friday fun day but i think it'd be fun so the tiers are as, are as this goat very good average bad no opinion or don't know who they are and jake christensen so that is your tier list for the university of iowa hawkeyes quarterbacks now obviously i think every hawkeye fan can agree on this chuck long is the goat i think there's not really a lot of debate on who the goat is at the university of iowa now second on the list can divide opinions my opinion the second greatest quarterback in iowa hawkeyes history is the man that I said is the picture of this, and that's Ricky Stanzi. There's a whole thing. When I went to the Orange Bowl, Stanzi time. Fourth quarter was Stanzi time. He was going to ball out, and the Hawkeyes were going to find a way to win from the depths of despair. And then he got hurt against Northwestern. And James Vandenberg comes in, and it's pretty much over for the Hawkeyes season. Lose to Northwestern, lose to Ohio State, and I think 
overtime. I don't remember how many overtimes. James Vandenberg threw like five interceptions that game, and then they beat Minnesota last game of the year. If Stanzi is there, there is no way Iowa loses those two games, and there's no way Iowa doesn't go to the national championship game. That team was awesome. They went on to win the Orange Bowl against Georgia Tech with Ricky Stanzi coming back. Adam Robinson was coming back from an ankle injury himself. Both had high ankle sprains. Both came back. Incredibly tough, Ricky Stanzi. And that says a lot about the next player on this list, C.J. Beathard. Now, I'm not going to say C.J. Beathard is the third greatest quarterback in Iowa football history, but if we're talking about toughness, there's not a lot that are tougher than C.J. Beathard. C.J. Beathard had a knee brace on. He had the, like, Cam Newton-style flak jacket, like, padding on padding on padding. Dude would never leave a game. Dude stayed in and won a lot of games for the University of Iowa. Going to the Rose Bowl, and I just saw the highlight the other day on Twitter of Chris McCaffrey against Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Not great, but C.J. Beathard, though at his flaws, is one of the greatest quarterbacks in Iowa football history. And the next one... I, I would rank higher than C.J. Beathard, my favorite quarterback when I was younger. The person I wanted to be when I was younger, Drew Tate. I think every Hawkeye fan that is my age, Drew Tate was their hero. Everybody loved Drew Tate. So much so, my goal in life is to name my first kid Tate. I love Drew Tate. Drew Tate with the throw to Warren Holloway, Tate to Holloway, one of the greatest games I've ever watched my dad makes fun of me because I could barely watch the TV. I had to run back and forth in my parents' room watching that game. My grandpa Roger was at that game. Biggest Hawkeye fan I've ever met in my entire life. And Tate just means so much to so many young Hawkeye fans. Well, I guess not young anymore, but young adult Hawkeye fans. Because he was their quarterback. Drew Tate was the quarterback. When you saw him leave the field for the last time as a Hawkeye against Texas in the Alamo Bowl, it was a very sad sight. Tate is a, a legend at the University of Iowa. Next on the list that we could throw on there, let's keep the quarterback that everybody, because at Iowa, Iowa is very known, especially their fans. I'm an Iowa fan, so I could say this. Iowa fans are very, very aggressive. I will say that 100% of the time. I think every Hawkeye fan can agree with me. The favorite player of every Iowa Hawkeye team is the backup quarterback. Always has been. Like, if you look at Drew Tate, no matter what Drew Tate and Jake Christensen was always talked about replacing him. Ricky Stanzi, you had James Vandenberg behind him. Jake Rudock, you had C.J. Beathard behind him. Even Jake Christensen, Ricky Stanzi was his backup. Like, it's, a, it's just a, a fabric of Iowa football fans. The backup quarterback's always the favorite person. And some most of the time... There's a reason that we are sitting in the stands and the head coaches and the other coaches are on the field coaching because sometimes we are right. Sometimes we're wrong. Like Jake Christensen replacing Tate, very stupid decision. Then you have Ricky Stanger replacing Jake Christensen, very smart decision. Then you have Jake Rudock going in and you have CJ Beathard behind him. That turned out to be for the best. <laughs> But sometimes we are wrong, and the Jake Christensen for Drew Tate one was the worst. Jake Christensen, in my eyes, is the worst quarterback in Iowa Hawkeye football history. I don't think there's anyone that's really close. And even in the early Kirk Ferentz days and the late Hayden Fries days, there was no quarterback that was worse than Jake Christensen. That's why he's got his own tier. There's a reason Iowa doesn't have a lot of left-handed quarterbacks, because Jake Christensen ruined the trend for Kirk Ferentz. Iowa, on senior day, 
And Jake Christensen's last game as a Hawkeye, well, not last game as a Hawkeye, but his last season as the full-time starter, lost to Western Michigan on senior day. Jake Christensen deserves his own tier. That's why I put through him on the very, very, very bottom. Stansy ended up replacing him, and then the quarterback that was supposed to replace Stansy, James Vandenberg, had a very nice junior year. He had a very good statistical junior year. Threw for about 3,000 yards or just over 3,000 yards. But then in his senior year, it went downhill. Iowa was terrible his senior year. If you look at the difference from his junior to senior year, Christensen threw for 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, 7 picks. The next year, he threw for 2,200 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 8 picks. That's not a great year for Iowa. They went 4-10. and 10. That year, James Vandenberg, no one replaced James Vandenberg. No one took a snap other than James Vandenberg that season. No other quarterback came in. That's how, and that's insane to think about, but that was mostly because Iowa had a three-way quarterback battle with Rudock, Bethard, and a guy we're going to talk about in a little bit. But see, James Vandenberg, for that last season alone, ruined everybody's opinion on him. So he has to go in the bad tier the quarterback that was in battle for that starting job the next season jake rudock um has a very uh, difficult relationship with iowa hawkeye football fans to say the least not a lot of iowa fans really have anything nice to say about jake rudock and i've never really i mean i get part of it i get part of it but the other part i just don't really understand yes i get it he was not as good as C.J. Beathard. I think everybody can agree on that. But I'm not going to sit here and blast the guy for being an absolutely terrible quarterback because he wasn't. And then the Iowa fans that hate him for going to Michigan. One, Michigan wanted him. Two, that was a Big Ten school that didn't play Iowa. That Iowa had no re- – like, there was no threat of playing Michigan. There was none. We had no threats. Michigan was not even on anybody's radar in regards to playing them. So I never understood why Iowa fans despise Jake Rudock. I know he wasn't as good as CJ Beathard. I was a CJ. I am a CJ Beathard fan. See, every CJ Beathard is one of the most legendary, most loved quarterbacks in Iowa football history. But I'm not going to sit here and bash Jake Rudock just because he went to Michigan. Michigan didn't play Iowa. Michigan openly recruited Rudock. To come there once he announced he's transferring. Rudock was not going to start the next season. That is probably the best thing he could have done. Is gone to a school that didn't play Iowa. Where he was a guarantee to start. And had a very good season. In his one season as the starter at Michigan. 64% completion percentage. 3,000 yards. 20 touchdowns. Like He was very good at Michigan. I don't get the hatred for Jake Rudock. Jake Rudock was just the definition of an average quarterback. He wasn't anywhere as good as C.J. Beathard. He wasn't as tough. He wasn't as loved. But I don't get the hatred for him. It it always baffles me every time I hear someone say, I hate Jake Rudock. Why? Why do you hate Jake Rudock? Wasn't a terrible quarterback. Wasn't a good quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. But he was a good quarterback. That's why, eventually, just being good isn't good enough. Beathard got them to the Rose Bowl his first year as a starter with 
nine with inches away from going to the Big Ten championship game or the 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 college football playoff. Yes, we got smashed by Stanford, but what would happen if we played Alabama? I don't even know. We got smashed either way. It makes me feel less bad that seeing Christian McCaffrey smash NFL defenses week in and week out. But Bethard is just a better quarterback. And Rudock went to a place that wanted him and that he could start. And he put up very nice numbers. Didn't play Iowa. Didn't hurt Iowa. Didn't do anything to Iowa. I don't really get the hatred for Jake Rudock. But the other quarterback that was in that quarterback battle with C.J. Bethard and Jake Rudock was the guy that Phil Steele thought was going to replace James Vandenberg as the starter at Iowa. And his name is Cody Sokol. A lot of people might not even remember who Cody Sokol is. Do you remember who Cody Sokol is? No. No one really does. Unless you're a diehard Iowa fan. But Cody Sokol ended up being the third-string quarterback at this Iowa team. Transferred to Louisiana Tech. Put up some good numbers while in college at Louisiana Tech. He's a very nice little quarterback for them. But at Iowa, it just never worked out. I don't think he ever played in Iowa. He threw 30 touchdowns in his one season as a starter for Louisiana Tech, threw 3,400 yards, 30 touchdowns. It's a very good number. But he just got beat out by Bethard and Rudock. So with Cody Sokol, I love Cody Sokol. But I think you had to put him in the no opinion one because he never actually started. But every Hawkeye fan loves Cody Sokol. A.J. Derby, uh, he transferred from Iowa because he, he wanted to play quarterback and then went to Arkansas and they moved to the tight end. Problem with Iowa was, they didn't he wanted to move positions but they didn't let him <laughs> or no they wanted him to move positions he didn't let them but he goes in bad <laughs> i love aj derby i love the aj derby memes that me and my friends have created but as a quarterback and just as a player at iowa he just wasn't very good brad banks very good second place in the heisman like he was only there for like he wasn't there for that long but the season that he had was amazing Going to the Orange Bowl, playing against USC, against Carson Palmer. Brad Banks is definitely in the very good category. Uh, who else do we got on this list? Tyler Wiegers. Uh, he wasn't just an, I don't know. He was kind of average. I'll put him in the average quarterbacks. I think Tyler Wiegers, uh, I don't know. He just got kind of messed up. He went from C.J. Beathard's backup to uh, Nate Stanley's backup. He wasn't bad. I think he was a pretty good quarterback. He, t- he played some time at Iowa, but yeah. Uh, Nate Chandler, uh, Nate Chandler was not great at Iowa, just to say that. I think, actually, no, you know what? I could throw him in the, the average category, I would say. He wasn't terrible at Iowa. Brother of Hawkeye legend Scott Chandler. Threw 18 touchdowns, 10 picks. Went to the, what bowl was it? The Outback Bowl. I mean, I'll throw him up an average. I think he was just an average, average quarterback at best, I think. Uh, Randy Duncan, one of the older guys they could throw up here. Uh, I put him up in the very good category. He's an older guy. He's one of the first, like, real quarterbacks you can look at at the University of Iowa and go, yep, I remember watching him. Or not watching, I remember watching him, but I remember him being there. I've, I've heard stories of Randy Duncan. I think every Iowa fan can say that chuck hartlieb another one i think he can go up in the very good category as well i think he went to dowling is that right did he go to dowling if he didn't then i'm gonna be upset because 
Oh, Marion. He went to Marion Catholic. Who went to Dowling? Wasn't there a quarterback in Iowa that went to Dowling or something? I don't remember. But whatever. And then we got Ed Porlock, who I was very cautious of putting this one in. Because he played running back in the NFL. He played running back slash quarterback at Iowa. But as an Iowa player, just in general, he was very good. Ed Polak is an Iowa legend, to say the least. He's an Iowa legend. In all sense of the word, legend. So he has to go up there in the very good category. Matt Rogers is another quarterback we have on this list. Matty Rogers um, had some success while playing for the University of Iowa. Do you put him up there in the very good category or do you throw him in the average category? Which one would you put Matt Rogers? Because in his time at Iowa, 14 touchdowns, 11 picks, and his senior year at Iowa, he was a two-year starter while at Iowa, kind of rotated. Or no, he was a three-year starter while at Iowa. Had some success. I think I'm going to throw Matt Rogers in the the average category. I, he has a sick visor, though. So that's good. The visor game, sick. But yeah, he definitely goes up in the average category. Marv McNutt. Man, one of the greatest Iowa receivers of all time, if not the greatest Iowa receiver of all time, was a quarterback at one point, believe it or not. He came in, moved positions, and had one of the most legendary partnerships as a receiver court Iowa's ever had between him and DJK, Daryl Johnson Culianos. One of the greatest partnerships of all time. But he never really played a lot of quarterback, so I got to throw him in the no opinion one. Sadly... And then we got Nate Stanley, who divides opinions across the world at Iowa. There are people that cannot stand Nate Stanley. And there are people that are like, oh, man, this guy is a, an Iowa legend. I am more on the side of I didn't really like Nate Stanley. That's just opinion of mine. But that's not saying that he was not a good quarterback. He's just very frustrating to watch. He's a very frustrating quarterback to watch. Never completed above 60% of his passes. Never had over 3,000 yards. Had two great years. He just got progressively worse, to say the least. Completion percentage-wise, he went up, but touchdowns and interception stuff kind of fluctuated a little bit. He had 26 touchdowns, both his first two years of starting, and then he went down to 16. But you still have to put him up in the very good category. I think he's right up there with the likes of Tate and Randy Duncan. I think he's right up there. I think, I think the top three of... Chuck Long, Ricky Stanzi. Then you can rotate between Tate and Bethard. And then I think Nate Stanley goes right behind there, right in front, right behind Brad Banks. So I'd ring him what? One, two, three, four, five. I'd ring him sixth for Hawkeye quarterbacks of all time. But he's still a very underappreciated quarterback, to say the least, in his time at Iowa. Uh, next one we got on here Jason Manson. He was Drew Tate's backup. He had some very nice performances while playing in his bit part role for the University of Iowa. You remember that Syracuse game where they went to overtime? Jason Manson came in and performed very well. As far as backup quarterbacks go, there's not a lot better than Jason Manson. I think he's probably the greatest backup quarterback Iowa's ever had, other than likes of when Ricky Stanzi and C.J. Beathard were backups. But Manson would go in, and he would not see a drop in play. It was consistent. Whatever take did, Manson would come in and perform very well. It was a very nice um, quarterback room between Jason Manson and CJ and uh, Drew Tate. 
you might want to throw him down. I mean, he was he was a backup quarterback though, and he played a lot less than the likes of Uyghurs did. But I can't put Uyghurs up there next to Matt Rogers. That's not really. I mean, he was average though, but they never played. These backup quarterbacks are hard to rank. They were good quarterbacks, but just never got a chance to actually start for the University of Iowa. And the next one on this list is the next starter for the University of Iowa, Spencer Petrus. Petrus has come in and played very well in his time at the University of Iowa, coming in for relief of Nate Stanley. Spencer Petrus is, uh, from what the coaches say and what you hear about this guy, he's awesome. We can expect a lot of good things from Spencer Petrus because he broke every single one of Jared Goff's high school records. So that's my expectation for Petrus. You see Jared Goff get drafted number one overall, you want the same thing to happen to a guy that went to the same school as that guy. Petrus is just, from watching him, he's just what you look at as a stereotypical quarterback. 6'5", 230, cannon arm, very smart. He's what I've... I'm really excited for Spencer Petrus. Nonetheless, I am excited to watch Petrus play. But that being said, he hasn't played a, he hasn't played significant time at Iowa so you can't really put him above the no opinion category and I wanted to leave these quarterbacks for last this is the late Hayden Fry early Kirk Ferentz (laughs) Iowa quarterbacks this is where we are getting to positions where not a lot of people know who these people are no one knows who these people are so you want to these were some bad times in Iowa football. So let's look at the first quarterback on here. Mark Vlasic. Mark Vlasic in his time at Iowa threw 14 touchdowns and five interceptions. He started, was a, the starter for one season, played significant times throughout pretty much his entire career at Iowa, playing at least 11 games in all four of his seasons at Iowa. Kind of career high of 1,400 yards in his time at Iowa, his senior year, 11 touchdowns, five picks. Yeah, he was just a average quarterback while playing for Iowa. Nothing spectacular. I did. I think he did have a little bit of time in the NFL. How much? How many seasons did he play in the NFL? Played for four seasons. Played some in the NFL. So that's cool. But he was just a average quarterback for his time at the University of Iowa, to say the least. Uh, next quarterback we got on this list is Matt Sherman, who I believe, or that was Vlasic. It was Vlasic or Sherman. I can't remember which one it was was Chuck Long's backup and was the holder for when Iowa made that field goal to beat Michigan at Kennick Stadium, one of the most legendary moments in Iowa football history. It was either Vlasic or Sherman. I can't remember which one. But Sherman, he'll fall in the category of bad. Uh, No, average. He was just an average quarterback. I think we could throw Matt Sherman up there. So two number 12s are there because in his time at Iowa, Sherman started 11 games two seasons and played six in the other ones. But in his time there, he threw 43 touchdowns, 32 picks, 6,000 yards. Sophomore year was his best yards complete uh, yards total-wise. Went down in his interception numbers almost every year. I He was just an average quarterback, I guess you could throw him there. I don't really know. It's kind of hard to rank these guys because at this time, a lot of people were, they were rotating the starting jobs. It wasn't like anybody was holding down the starting job. They rotated a lot in this era of Iowa Hawkeyes football. It's, it was a very weird time 
in Iowa's history. It was a very bad time in Iowa's history. Now we got the next quarterback on this list, Kyle McCann, who was the like the first quarterback. They had like a trio of quarterbacks in the early Kirk Ferentz era. They never really decided and nailed on who the starter was. But I think McCann, out of those guys in that early Kirk Ferentz era, were the best of those ones. So I think we can throw McCann up in the average quarterback category because if you look at his stats, he had a very decent senior year at Iowa. 16 touchdowns, 11 picks, 2,000 yards, completed 66% of his passes. He's a decent quarterback while playing for Iowa. This is some very, very bad Iowa football teams. Very bad. Like, out of like the history of Iowa football, these were not great teams. And his in McCann's senior year, that's where you saw a little bit of an improvement from the Iowa teams gone on. That's That was the vast improvement from those Iowa teams. Now, we are getting into some other quarterbacks here. We got ESPN analysis, Paul Beermeister. Paulie was a... Uh, he... Again, that was the latter part of the Hayden Fry era at Iowa. And in his time at Iowa, Beermeister was not great. In his last year at Iowa, his full season, first full season as a starter, he threw 10 touchdowns, 12 picks. As a whole, he didn't really have a lot of great success while playing for the University of Iowa. I mean, they went to bowl games, so that's good for them. But as a whole, there wasn't anything really spectacular from Beermeister. So he'll go up in the the bad category. It's just that number 16 post Chuck Long has just been cursed kind of other than CJ Beathard, hasn't it? It's kind of weird. Next quarterback we got on the list, if I remember correctly, because it's, it's hard to kind of remember these guys', these guys', these guys names. But Scott Mullen is another quarterback we got on here. In his time at Iowa, Scott Mullen threw 11 touchdowns, 16 picks. Completed 53% of his passes. There was nothing great about what Scott Mullen did at the University of Iowa. Scott Mullen goes straight into the bad category. That's just where he goes. It's where he's going to belong. That's just it's just where he'll be for the time being. He'll just sit down there in the bad one. I think it's funny that compared to all the other quarterbacks that Iowa's had, Jake Christensen <laughs> stands the test of time as by far the worst quarterback in Iowa's history, which is just very funny to think about. John Butcher is another one. Played one season at Iowa. He played one full season at Iowa. So do we even you can't really put him anywhere. You gotta throw him in the, the no opinion category. He only played one year at Iowa. And that one year threw six touchdowns, three picks. Sixty one percent completion percentage, eight hundred and forty one yards. The next year he transferred to Illinois. Uh twenty five hundred yards, twenty one touchdowns, eleven picks. So he had potential as Iowa's quarterback, but just never really materialized, I guess. Played one year because, again, this is when we were talking about that Iowa was kind of just rotating quarterbacks. They didn't really have a set starter. So if you're him, might as well just get out while you have the chance. And I'm not 100% sure who this last one is. I might need to do some Googling because I'm not 100% sure this is him. I think it's Randy Reiners. I'm not sure. If it is Randy Reiners... In his time at Iowa, Randy Reiners, 
uh, threw 15 touchdowns, 11 picks. He only played one year at Iowa, like actual started one year at Iowa, and he got benched the next two. He's got to go in the bad category. So here we go. We got our tier list done of Iowa quarterbacks. See, uh, Chuck Long, GOAT, obviously. And then it's followed by Stanzi, uh, CJ Beathard, Drew Tate, Brad Banks, Randy Duncan, Chuck Hartlieb, Ed Polak, and Nate Stanley. Going to average, Jake Rudock, Nathan Chandler, Matt Rogers, Mark Vlasic, Matt Sherman, and Bryant. No, wait. <laughs> I need to remember who these older quarterbacks are. Oh, uh, crap. I need to find out who this is. I think Kyle McCann. Yeah, Kyle McCann and just average. Bad, James Vandenberg, A.J. Derby, uh, Paul Beermeister. Yeah, we don't need to go through this entire list again. But very goat, very good, average, bad, no opinion, don't know, Jake Christensen. Jake Christensen's in his own category. So, yeah, I think that one was was pretty obvious. <laughs> I think that's very obvious Jake Christensen deserves to be in his own category because that's how legendary of a quarterback Jake Christensen was. And now that we got all of our legendary Iowa quarterbacks out of the way, had to talk on Jake Christensen. Jake, Jake Christensen, what a, what a guy. Easily the worst quarterback in Iowa football history. So with that being said, let's look at another quarterback. This one is, um, he's in the NFL. He was a number one overall pick in, I believe, 2014, maybe 2015, one of those two years. And set, had very good stats, yards-wise, and very good stats, yards-wise. Everything else, though, uh, more forgettable. Or stuff that you would like to forget if you are a, uh, I don't know, a starting quarterback in the NFL. And that is, of course, the one and only famous Jameis Winston. I don't think there's any other quarterback in the entire history of the NFL that would ever say some of the stuff that Jameis Winston has had pretty much the, I guess you could call it the audacity to say. So Jameis Winston was a five-year starter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and yeah had some success while playing for the Buccaneers Buccaneers by far the best 5100 yards 30 touchdowns oh sorry usually you would say 30 touchdowns 30 uh interceptions with 33 touchdowns that is very bad that is a very bad the first in a very long time of a 30-30 season Jameis Winston in the last two years prior to that was kind of in limbo with a starting job between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Dirk Cutter kind of losing a faith in him, I guess you could say. Jameis Winston's time as a starter, 28-42. Yeah, he has 88 touchdowns. No, 88 interceptions, my bad. Because, you know, again, you think touchdowns. And 121 touchdowns. In his time in the NFL, he has never had more interceptions than touchdowns. So that's positive here. But he's been close every single year, and there has not been a year where he has not thrown over 11, under, I guess, 10 interceptions in a season. His interception numbers read 15, 18, 11, 14, and then 30. 30 interceptions in his fifth year in the league. That's stuff you see in, like, Peyton Manning's first year in the NFL. Not a fifth-year established starter at 25. And then you come out got him doing all these workouts that – don't correlate to football whatsoever. And you look at him like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Of all the things you could be doing, why are you doing that workout? What does that correlate to the NFL for? What does that correlate to football at all? Why are you doing that? Stop that. Who's training you? 
So you have former players coming out making fun of him, and yeah, it's pretty easy to make fun of. He's not. It's a pretty low hanging fruit to be honest. Jameis Winston got LASIK this offseason. Uh, so now he can see and read street signs, which I don't know why you would not do that when you first came in the league. It's kind of something you wouldn't really want to do after your fifth year in the league. Kind of come out and admit that you were playing handicapped, basically, for the first five years of your NFL career. It's not very. It's not something your teammates would like to hear. Then you come out and say, if you look at my stats, I'm balling. What? You're balling? You just had a 30-30 season. Your last throw of your Bay Buccaneers career was a pick six. What do you mean you're balling? Speaking on pick six, he let, broke an NFL record for most pick sixes in a season last year. And then he has the thing to say, which is, might be the greatest Jameis Winston code of all time. So, of course, you've got the whole, if you look at the stats, I'm balling thing. But then you got the one from today or last night. It was one of those two. Let me get this up. I want the pause for dramatic effect. Historically, I am one of the best quarterbacks to play the game. Let me read that again if you didn't hear it. Historically, I am one of the best quarterbacks to play the game. And also, historically, you are one of the worst quarterbacks to play the game. And the two don't coincide. So you cannot say that (laughs) at all. What makes you believe that? You were washed out of Tampa, essentially, pushed out the door, kicked on the door. You know the saying of, don't let the door hit you on the way out? Tampa made sure he sat there and slammed it in his face while they signed a 43-year-old Tom Brady, who in his last throw of this season last year was also a pick six against the Titans. So, Jameis, no. First off, no. I don't know who told you this, and Jameis has shown throughout throughout his career He's not one of the smartest people of all time. I think it's very obvious what, with what he has said over his career. The eating W's thing was one of the cringiest pump-up speeches I've ever seen in my entire life. Nothing Jameis Winston does has been for the good of the team, that has helped his team. He is not the smartest person in the world because he does workouts that don't work in the NFL. They have no idea what they're even supposed to be doing, to be honest. Yeah. You're showing videos of you working hard, but what are those workouts actually doing? Yes, working hard is cool, but are you actually going to gain anything from working hard except for clout on the internet going, look at me working out? No, you're not. Then you got the quotes, the statistically, I'm balling, and this one, historically, I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. One of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. As of right now, until he turns this thing around, from all I can say, Jameis is a bust. You don't go in your first five leagues from on balling to third-string quarterback on the New Orleans Saints. Like that. You signed a $1 million contract, essentially. What was it? $1.9 million or something like that? A one-year deal with the Saints. Which shows the NFL's love for you. So you are not balling and you are not historically one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Marcus Mariota has his flaws, but he's a better quarterback. (laughs) Marcus Mariota, I've roasted him enough on this show throughout the years. 
of if he doesn't develop now, he's never going to develop. He's in his fifth year. He's not developing any further. That's what he is. Jameis, you cannot throw 30 interceptions in a season, lead the NFL and break an NFL record for pick sixes in a season, and then come out and say, I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. This is a very similar mindset to that of Vince Young when he came in the league. Vince Young being the backup quarterbacks on the Eagles says this is a super team. The backup court, Jameis, you are a third string quarterback and you're coming out and saying you're one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. On the depth chart right now, if you read it, Taysom Hill is the backup to Drew Brees. Now with that stand, if Drew Brees gets hurt again, I don't know. But as of right now, Taysom Hill is the backup. Jameis, I don't know who's advising you to do these things or who's blowing smoke up your rear end. You need to get them to stop. Hopefully it's not the same people that you're working out with because if you got rid of them, you might actually develop into a really good quarterback. I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's a 4.8 interception percentage. (laughs) Good Lord. That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, 5,100 yards is cool. While you threw it 626 times. Yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. uh, I'm at a loss for words. I have read Jameis Winston quotes for a very long time and I've laughed at them with Spencer for a very long time as well. I have never, never thought out of all the ridiculous things he has said, that this would ever come out of his mouth. I did not believe that. I refused to believe this would this is what actually was said. But no. It's, it, ugh. I don't know. I do not know. You, I don't know. <laughs> That's the only thing I can say. I don't know. Jeez. I'm just at a loss for words. I can't describe what this feeling is. You cannot say I'm the greatest quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, while throwing 30 interceptions, while sitting on the bench behind Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. The same thing Vince Young went through when he came in the league. It's stupid. You cannot say these things. We got a super team. You don't hear Michael Vick saying that. Why? Because he's the starter. Vince doesn't have to back it up. He's not going to play. Oh my god! I'm interested to see where Jameis Winston goes next. I <laughs> very intrigued to see where he goes. Other quarterbacks, I'm intrigued to see where they go. Josh Rosen. I've heard he's going to link to the Steelers. I know it's a little side note, but I could I could see them him going there and rejuvenizing his career, re, uh, rejuvenating his career. I guess. Jameis Winston, man, cannot go around saying these things. Eh. The other person we had to make fun of today. So we have two NFL players. That I don't know who's telling them this information, but whoever it is, they need to cut out of their lives because um, they're not the smartest people in the world. This next person on this list is not a quarterback. Same, I don't know what it is. I didn't even think about this till right now. I don't know what it is with Florida State, but whatever they're feeding you guys down there, you guys got this false sense of confidence that doesn't make any sense, and you guys need to stop it. I think Dalvin, Dalvin and Jameis even played together, so it makes sense. 
It makes sense. This is all starting to come together very nicely. So Dalvin Cook, running back from the Minnesota Vikings, has played a grand total of 29 games in his NFL career. He has played 16 games zero times. He's played over, started over 10 games once. So it started. He's played over 11 games twice. Started, he's only done it once, and that was this past year. This past year, Dalvin Cook rushed for 1,100 yards. Very impressive stuff. Had 13 touchdowns. Very impressive, very impressive. So yeah, he's had one good year, essentially. He's had one good year in the NFL. Logan, why are you talking about Dalvin Cook? Why are you why are you bringing this stuff up? What does this have to do with anything? Well, Dalvin Cook wants Christian McCaffrey money. In what world does Dalvin Cook think he should make the same amount of money as the best running back in the NFL that does everything a thousand times better than what you do. It's ridiculous. I don't know who's telling these Florida State kids this stuff, but it needs to stop. It needs to stop. It's like, uh, what did they say? Uh, was it Filthy Frank? It's time to stop. Christian McCaffrey not only is the best running back in the league, he is one of the best route runners in the league. He's a running back. Chris McCaffrey is levels above everybody else as far as running backs. Top five all-time career receptions. Okay, let's repeat that. Top five all-time in career receptions by the end of age 23 season. Chris McCaffrey has 303 receptions. That is more than DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Larry Fitzgerald, and Randy Moss. Two of those guys will be first ballot Hall of Famers. I don't know, one of them already was. I don't know about the other two. I think they'll both be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how early they'll be. He has more receptions at the age of 23 than actual wide receivers. All players at position, at all positions, with 1,000 yards or more fantasy points through their first three seasons all time. Christian McGaffrey and my favorite player of all time, LaDainian Tomlinson. That's it. Games missed to injury through 2017 and 2019. Dalvin Cook, 19. Christian McCaffrey, 0. Times targeted via pass in 2019. Stephon Diggs plus Adam Thielen, 142. Christian McCaffrey, 142. There is... It is ridiculous to think that Dalvin Cook thinks he deserves to be paid as much as Christian McCaffrey. It is crazy to think that. Dalvin, I don't know who's telling you this. I don't know what leverage you think you have on the Vikings. Go listen to what Melvin Gordon did and tell him and have him tell you how he screwed himself out of a big-time contract and now as a backup role on the Denver Broncos. Go follow what Melvin did because that's the same step. That's the same thing you're heading towards right now. I'm going to hold out and get a massive contract. I deserve to be paid as much as Christian McCaffrey. No, you don't. Melvin Gordon's the exact same running back as you are. He's a better pass catcher, but as far as running backs getting injured all the time, it's very similar 
to your career and Melvin Gordon's career. So I would talk to Melvin and go, hey, what should I not do? And Melvin would go, that. Because now Melvin is currently sitting as the backup running back to Philip Lindsay on the Denver Broncos. Philip Lindsay went undrafted. Melvin Gordon was, I think, the 15th pick in the draft. And he's going to be his backup. Do you want that same fate for you, Dalvin? Because you don't hold any leverage on the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings really care if you hold out. They're looking at you and going, all right, you had one good year. You've been healthy for one year. You've missed 19 games throughout your NFL career. You can't stay healthy, which is a big thing here. So we're not going to invest a lot of money in you. Christian McCaffrey has changed the running back game. Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the NFL. He's the one of the best route runners in the NFL. He's a freaking running back. He's not even a wide receiver. Receptions through his first three seasons at the age of 23. He has more receptions than two Hall of Famers and two borderline Hall of Famers. Christian McCaffrey is very similar to that of LaDainian Tomlinson in yards throughout his career so far. Marshall Falk, same thing. Two first ballot Hall of Famers. Actually, I don't know about Marshall. I'm pretty confident in that. I know LT's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But whoever's telling these Florida State people, same thing with Jalen Ramsey. What is it with Florida State people and having smoke blown up their rear ends and things that are better than what they are? Dalvin, you are a very good running back. I am not saying you're not a good running back. I'm not saying you don't deserve to get paid because you are underpaid as it is right now. But do not be expecting a Christian McCaffrey-style contract because you ain't that good in comparison to Christian. In comparison to other running backs, you're very good. You're right up there with the best. But you cannot ask to get paid like the best running back in the league when you're not even a top five running back You're in your own right. So my your one good year, your one pretty healthy year, is, doesn't mean anything to me as an organization. In your first two years in the league, you had four touchdowns rushing. Four. You've had zero receiving touchdowns. You've had two in your career. Like, congratulations on your your vast success. Here's a Christian McCaffrey-style contract that broke all running back contract records. I would say the top five running backs in the league right now are McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. I think those are the top two. And then Derrick Henry, the Nick Chubb, and then Zeke. I wouldn't throw Dalvin Cook in there. He's in the top ten, but he ain't in the top five. I think you could throw, like, if Le'Veon Bell, like, look at Le'Veon Bell as well. Look at how good he's been since he left Pittsburgh and held out. I think Le'Veon Bell could be a lot better this year now that he actually has some help in the offensive line. He's had a good attitude ever since he went to New York. But listen to these guys. The guys that have held out and sat out the entire season like what apparently you're planning on doing, it has not worked out for them. Because like Melvin Gordon in San Diego and Los Angeles, you've got a very capable backup behind you. So don't think the Vikings can't look at that and go, we can replace you. We are not going to invest a ton of money for a guy that can't stay healthy. Alexander Madison is a very talented running back sitting right behind you. 
he can replace you. The Vikings, if they feel necessary, this is another Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon situation. The Chargers are more than happy riding the wave with Austin Eckler and let Melvin Gordon go. The Vikings, with Madison right behind you, I could see them being perfectly fine with letting you hold out and then having you go somewhere else. I could really see that happening. So, play your cards right, Delvin. Don't be an idiot and try to get Christian McCaffrey money. Because that's not happening. And if it does, the Vikings are idiots. I don't really care. There's no reason that you should be getting that much money like the best running back in the league when you're not even a top five running back. You've had one good season. Let's hold off on crowning you a top five running back in the league. Literally, one good season. You have two receiving touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey has games where he has two receiving touchdowns. Games, not seasons. Christian McCaffrey is miles above you. So don't think you're up there with McCaffrey in regards to the money game because that ain't happening. So with that being said, let's end it here on this beautiful, it's starting to look a little bit better outside, June 10th edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this show. Go follow the Logan Blackman Show on all Twitter accounts, or all social media accounts, not Twitter, just Twitter accounts. But the Twitter account is at the underscore LB underscore show. My personal Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Go search it both on Instagram, Logan Blackman, and the Logan Blackman Show on Instagram. Go like the Facebook page. We are currently at 111 likes on Facebook. So keep the Facebook like ratio going up. I would greatly appreciate it. And yeah, go subscribe to the YouTube channel as well because you got some videos planned for you in the near future so yeah stay tuned for all your great logan blackman show content and i will see you guys hopefully on friday if not i will see you on monday peace